Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive more and more of your love, to take it on board and to share it in the world. Help us to know more of your truth and your ways. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a, a story told about the early years of our country about Thomas Jefferson. And the story goes that um, there was a time during his presidency when he went out on to view part of the country on a countryside tour with all of his companions on horseback. And they came to this town where there was a river that had flooded and it had receded, but it had taken out the bridge. And so they all came to the river scratching their heads about what to do and checking it out. And eventually they decided they could ford the river. And some of his companions went across first and they made it fine. And there was a man who was watching at a distance who was on foot who needed to cross it. And he went up to Jefferson himself and said, could I get on your horse and go across the river with you? And after a little bit of hesitation, Jefferson said yes and put him on the back of his horse and they went across and everything went well. And he got on the other side and he got down. And then some of the companions who were there with Jefferson said to this man, why in the world did you ask the president of the United States to get on his horse? And the guy was like, I didn't know he was the president, but I know this. All of you guys had no on your face and he had yes. And I needed a yes. <laughs> but who oftentimes when we get who it is or what the context is in a situation like that, it makes us appreciate a lot more the kindness that's involved. And I want to suggest to you that there is a sense in which there's an analog for that in Advent as we come to think about who it is that's coming to judge us, as we think about what's happening on some of these things that we reflect on during the season of Advent. And um, Andrew did a great job last week of kind of starting things off, and we talked about this before. But the major themes that we look at during the season of Advent is we invite everyone to go on this journey with a couple of really major themes. There are a number of themes, but uh, like three really big ones. One is to begin to prepare ourselves to think about what it is that God takes on flesh and, and enters the manger in Bethlehem. We're going to celebrate that on Christmas. That's one aspect of it. But another super important part of it is to reflect on what it means that Jesus is going to come in the fullness of glory to judge the world and what that's about and to pause on that. And that's the part that's, uh, okay. And then the, along with that, just kind of flows out of that, there's another tone that's in the season of Advent that has to do with repentance. And it's not as strong as Lent, but it is there. And so we'll either use blue or we'll use purple, the color of repentance, but that will always be a flavor that's also an advent. You won't hear it as strong as Lent, but it is there. And when we think about who's doing it, this and what's involved in it, if we get the incredibleness of what it is that the God of all is coming down to judge and that somehow, some way we're okay as we embrace what God offers us, it changes how we understand the kindness of what's happening. And I want to suggest that we meditate on that today, and I'll say more on that in a minute. But in 1928, the famous um, German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, preached a sermon in Advent about judgment. And he says words that I think still ring really, really true with us today. And I want to read part of his sermon um, to us today. So listen to what part of what he says. This is 1928. He says, it's very remarkable that we face the thought that God is coming so calmly 
whereas previously peoples trembled at the day of God. We've become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We're indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God is truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news for everyone who has a conscience. This is where our title came from today. I wanted to use the cuss word, but of course I couldn't. So we got, we got holy cow. And Bonhoeffer continues, only when we have felt the terror of the matter can we recognize the incomparable kindness. God comes into the very midst of evil and of death and judges the evil in us in the, and in the world. And by judging us, God cleanses and sanctifies us, comes to us with grace and love. Some serious things to think about in what he says in his message about that. And what I'd like to do today with our sermon is I'd like to, I'd like to take us and and call us to think a little bit about judgment, about refinement, and how that in itself beckons us to repentance and ultimately to see maybe a fresh take on God's love and mercy and grace. And you look at the two readings we had, the one that Greg read from, from Luke and the one Steve read from Malachi, both of those are crying out with an aspect of deliverance. Both of those are in a way calling out how God's people are bankrupt. John is going, to say, is going to call the people of his age to a baptism of repentance, of turning. And Malachi is going to say this messenger's coming who's going to be about ultimately broadcasting and advocating what's going to come in with refinement. And I want to say something about that. And we start to look at Malachi. If we back up from the Malachi reading a little bit before, we'll get why Malachi's been called to present this prophetic message because the priests of the age are doing profane things. They're making like these illegitimate sacrifices. They're doing all this kind of stuff. So they're in the doghouse. And then the people of Judah are doing their own thing. They're going after other gods. They've been called to keep their races pure, but they're marrying with other people, all this kind of stuff. The people have all erred and gone astray. And so it's Malachi is calling into that situation and saying the one's coming who's going to like go into that situation and he's going to refine you and make you into a different place. We look at Malachi. I mean, this isn't one of the old prophets. He's one of the 12 minor prophets, but scholars say that he's, he's writing this stuff between somewhere between 516 and 450 BC. So it's a long time ago. But our understanding when we read it is the same kind of stuff he's talking about applies today that we, we've all still erred and we've all still disregarded God's commands on us, whether it's how we're going to do our worship or whether it's how we're going to love our neighbors or whether it's, it's how we love ourselves or love God or encourage our neighbor, all these different things, or maybe matters of justice that we don't really care that much about people in some far off country that are still our neighbors that are suffering and dying because they don't have basic stuff that we, and we just don't even care. We worry about, you know, what's my tax rate? 
who should I vote for because of my tax rate? You know, we don't even care about the people that are over there or whatever else. It is. All these different things that, that can weigh on us if we stop and think about what God's calling us into. And the season of Advent is one that is not, at least early on, it's not comfortable because it's calling us to think about our sinfulness and our brokenness that we all engage in. And it's not meant to just be some buzzkill about our Christmas preparations, but ultimately it's about calling us to ongoing transformation, about connecting and relating more with, with what God's done and what God's doing and what's God, what's God, what God is going to do and understanding his kindness and his love. And I know, I know it's against the tone of all the Christmas music that started at Halloween and all the different <laughs> preparations that we're making for Christmas and all these things, and suddenly you're getting whacked with thoughts about judgment's coming, God's g coming this way, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I've failed, all these kinds of things. It's not, but it's not meant ultimately to be a negative thing, but to bring us to a place of transformation, and it's part of the season of Advent, and we all go to that place. And some people would say that, you know, that Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this last century in Mere Christianity. He said, look, Christianity probably doesn't even speak to you at all unless you ever come to understand your brokenness and your predicament. But that's part of our season. We come back to thinking, not as heavy as Lent, but we want to come back to thinking about our own brokenness and sinfulness. And we do it in the context of thinking about Jesus' second coming. And I want to ask you some, some hard questions to think about and to think about how we're all broken and what it means that we're sinful this way. Ask yourself some questions. In what ways have you actively cooperated with evil? In what ways have you stretched the truth for your own gain? In what ways have you harmed others through selfish actions? In what ways have we harmed ourselves through selfishness as we pursued what we want and sought things? In what ways have we not loved others? In what ways have we not encouraged our neighbors? In what ways have we done selfish things that have put ourselves on the throne where God is meant to be? I wonder, too, all, those are all the things we might know. Those are things going across our dashboard. But the season of Advent, I think, calls us to go to a deeper level of repentance, to stop and ask the questions of what ways have we ignored how we've gone along with society in things that aren't right? The places where if Jesus was next to you and you're saying, yeah, I'm going along with this and this and this, and he's like shaking his head going like, how does that respect the dignity of every person? How does that, how does that love my masterpieces of every single person? Or even harder questions still, like things you do that are good, the ways you've used God's gifts he's given you, but you've used them for yourself. And you've not surrendered to say, how can I use these gifts, my ability to make money, my ability to, to lead, my ability to do whatever it is for God's glory and for his kingdom and for his purposes? In what ways have we gone off the track in that way? The question in that, it brings us, if we reflect on those things, and that's part of Advent, it brings us to our brokenness. And then suddenly you start reading some of these Advent readings, and you're like, oh, snap. Judgment's coming by surprise. And if, 
you know, if you at least go where Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes, you should suddenly be like, oh, whoa, the judge is here judging all this stuff. And what do we do with that? But we come back to this place of knowing that there's more to it, right? That there's, there's a God of love and mercy and grace that's going to come into this. But if we just stay there for a second in our brokenness, it's a dim picture. I was reading some of the, some of the fascinating stuff recently on one of our um, musicians, poets who died in 2016 that I know many in the room would love, um, Leonard Cohen, who said again and again he's not, he was not religious. And when he did say he was religious, he would identify as being Jewish, but he, had, he was haunted by Jesus. I'm just going to say it that way. He was haunted by Jesus. And I want to read part of an interview. This is part of an interview he gave towards the end of his life. He says, and he's talking about this one song, he, The Captain, but he says, what I mean to say in the song is that there are many things about Christianity that attract me. The figure of Jesus is extremely attractive. It's difficult not to fall in love with that person. And he goes on to sort of praise what Jesus does and, and the resurrection and some things. But he continues, he says, we have this notion that there's, if there's no mechanism for resurrection, there's no redemption from sin. Then we're forced to embrace evil. And we get the kind of activity, the kind of activity that like ultimately leads to genocide. Like it, it's this dark hole that just there's nothing to bring us out of it. Well, I want to pivot for the last part of this sermon and take us beyond just sitting and thinking about our sin and hear how Malachi and, he, and John the Baptist both are not just saying repent and think about what a, you know, how bad you are, but it's for a reason. It's to come to the light. It's to come to a better place. And Malachi is going to ultimately talk about refining us. And so I kind of want to march through what, part of what he says. Malachi says this, and this is in 3, 1 to 4. He says, see, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant to whom you delight. Indeed, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. And throughout Christian uh, tradition and, and history and interpretation, most have said this messenger is John the Baptist, who is also associated with Elijah because of, of the, the way the prophecies work. But it's going to go on from there with the one who's going to refine us as being Jesus. So, so it continues. And Malachi says this, it goes on in the second verse. He says, but, but who can endure the day of, the, of the, his coming? And who can stand when he appears. I think the prophet is being led to say these words and then he suddenly listens to what's coming out and he's like, and he himself gets scared and he adds these words like, what are we going to do with this? Like, who could withstand this? How's this, how's this going to happen? Who can endure such a thing? And he, those, catch, those words catch him, but I, I wonder each week, and we're going to do this in a few minutes, Greg will lead us, but we'll say those words in the Nicene Creed that he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. And we gloss over them like they're nothing. But that's not the way it was in Malachi's time. And, and outside of a few things, I mean, we, we should be haunted by that. He's going to come to judge the living and the dead on what we've done. Now, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not where Diedrich Bonhoeffer was. I think it's totally okay to not panic and be trembling completely because we have confidence in what Jesus has done. We have confidence in his grace and love and that we're covered in in his, in his blood, so to speak, as they say, that we have his righteousness. So I think it's okay not to tremble, but it would be a misstep if we don't stop to think about what he's done and think about what judgment would be. 
in all of this. And that's part of our call for the season of Advent is to think about that moment by surprise of the judgment that comes and where Christ is in that. I want to continue with what Malachi says. He says, for he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And throughout the ages, Christians have viewed the refiner as being Jesus. And here's the thing about it. God doesn't care what you've done because he's going he's gonna to receive you and love you you're, you're his masterpiece, and he's going to love you always and give you grace forever you've been, whatever you've done, and invite you in, but he's never going to leave you there. Part of what it means when we surrender and it receive that gift is he's going to start this road of transformation. He's going to start this refinement. He's not going to leave you where you are. His spirit is going to continue to work on you, that what will grow in you are the attributes that the Spirit will bring of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. And I, I think about this, we got to be honest, this is not an easy process. If you're the piece of gold that's getting refined, you're going to get melted. You're going to flow. These impurities are going to come out of you as, through this process. Or if you're the fine piece of, of wool that's going to be made into this cloth, the, the um, fuller soap, which that's what it is. It's the soap that's being used on the wool before it becomes cl the cloth. It's going to be a strong detergent that's going to that's be cleansing you and taking this place. That's the journey we're invited into, and it can sometimes be hard, that road. But it's full of love and grace. And, and, and you read this story about the precious metals or the fine cloth, Part of that metaphor that's being given is your, your, of your high value, of how much God loves you and what he does for you and where he, where he brings this. So as we hear these hard messages of Advent early on in the season of Advent, we're reminded that, that it can be a hard process, it can be a hard thing, but it's filled with love, joy, mercy, grace. And ultimately, as hard as it is, it also is meant to bring and fill us with joy. We go from this place of being distorted from the cloud of sin and we're not able to cleanse ourselves. But we learn in all this that, that God will give us a process, a refinement. He will be the one, if we yield and surrender, He will refine us. He will help us on this journey and on this ongoing process of purifying us. And if judgment comes in a moment, like Advent speaks to, we're covered in what He does. His righteous not, righteousness, not ours. And it all involves this uh, repentance that Lent, or sorry, that Advent calls us to, of turning. It calls us to know what's wrong and the best we can with God's help to turn from it. It also calls us to reorient ourselves towards God. I love the way that the um, bishop, Leslie Newbegin, who's one of my favorite bishops in the Anglican communion. He was a missionary for 40 years, could have done anything, brilliant guy. Spent 40 years as a missionary in India, but he tells us one story about one aspect of repentance. It's, it's turning from the things we know are wrong, 
that's one part of it. But he also talks about how it's turning towards God so we can see and receive God. And the analogy he gives, he was a bishop in India, and he talks about this one day that he was going to visit a city in India, and um, they made a big deal when the bishop came to visit this little village. And they had no, um, very, they didn't have very good roads coming into this village. It was, in, it was in the Diocese of Madras. And he says there were only two ways into the city. There was the north route and the south route. And the congregation was convinced that he was coming in the south route. So they all came down there, and they had all these festivities and all these, you know, ways that they were going to parties. He came into town to the South Route and did all this. And he said that he, he came in, he surprised them. They didn't know it. He came in the North Way. And he said all he came into was a couple of chickens and whatever else it was. And then there was at least one person there was like, ooh, we thought you were coming in the South Way. So they, this guy ran to the South Way and he had to kind of go hide and then pretend to come back to the north. And he, he says a great analogy of what this form of redemption is, or of, of repentance is, is like this village where they were in the wrong place and they t- did a 180 U-turn and they went to the other side to welcome what was coming. And he says that that's it, that we can sometimes be turned in the wrong direction where we don't even see God. We don't even see his hand at work. We don't even see the love, the grace, the mercy that he's pouring out because we're so focused and turned in the wrong way. And part of this call of redemption is not just to turn from what we know is wrong to what we know is right, but to reorient ourselves to where we can take on board and where we can see and experience and hear God's voice. It's part of what that redemption is and part of what the call of Advent is. The season of Advent calls us to a deep place. It, it calls us to think about our brokenness. It calls us to think about this judgment day and to turn from those things. But it also, I think, if we think about who it is who's doing this and the ultimate kindness that's in the mercy and grace and love that he gives, just like with that Thomas Jefferson story, it'll bring us to a new place of experiencing and understanding what God's love is and what God's kindness is in reaching out to us. And I think part of our mission for Advent is is to, again, commit ourselves to surrender to the divine, saying, lead me, guide me, help me, help me understand, help me see your hand at work, help me have strength and grace to keep turning to the light, turning to the light, even as we face the pain and brokenness of the world, and knowing that God gives us a process that will continually transform us into his image, all the while knowing that we're the beloved, that he will do it all for us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. Even as we think about our brokenness and sinfulness this season, may that always be in the context of knowing how much you love us and seek us and pursue us. Help us to surrender and receive that love and not only receive it that we can have grace and love for ourselves, but that we can share it, that we can let others know that we found this source of grace and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.